1: Remote learning obviously brings many challenges for teachers, students, and parents. But for our learners that have struggles with executive functioning skills, remote learning might be extremely, extremely hard. Today I'm talking with Erin Vollmer. Erin is a licensed speech-language pathologist and one of the co-founders of Therapy Works. They provide speech, OT, PT, and social work services in the Chicagoland area and virtually. Today, Erin and I are talking about executive functioning skills. In a few minutes, she'll define what those are. So if you don't know what they are, just wait. And we talk about why in a remote learning setting, our kids with executive functioning challenges are struggling even more than their peers. Erin's going to be sharing six strategies that both teachers and parents can utilize to help their learners be more successful. So let's get to the conversation. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here talking about one of my favorite topics. This is one of my favorite topics too. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I think as we kind of delve into it, a lot of teachers and parents are going to realize that most of their kids likely have some struggles with executive functioning skills because I know as an adult, (laughs) I have some struggles with executive functioning skills.
2: I absolutely have have struggled with executive function <laughs> skills. I think these are tips that we all can use for sure. Yeah. So, so today,
1: Erin's going to be sharing six strategies for kids with executive functioning challenges, or everyone, especially during virtual learning. So before we jump into all that good stuff, can you give a brief overview of what executive functioning skills are? Sure, absolutely.
2: So let me give you a quick definition. Executive functions are a set of processes we use to manage ourselves and our resources in order to achieve a goal. So what we're talking about is any action that involves some sort of thinking and planning. What we're not talking about are actions that are reflexes, like if you were to scratch an itch or if someone scared you and you jumped Um, And we really use our executive functions all day, every day for little things like making our bed or a cup of coffee or big things like bigger projects. Um, And it's, in my mind, really anything that involves paying attention, organizing, planning, initiating tasks and self-regulation. So these are huge. Huge, huge. Yep. (laughs) Everything. (laughs) Everything. Yes. Yes, exactly. I read somewhere that we use, or we make 35,000 decisions every day. So, you know, you can see how often we're using our executive functions.
1: Oh my God. That's why I'm so tired at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) It's exhausting. I know. (laughs) So, you know, some kids, obviously all kids are on a spectrum of how, how challenging different skills are, you know, when it comes to academics or executive functioning skills or behavior. So obviously kids have varying degrees of success and weaknesses with these skills. But specifically for our kids that struggle more with executive function challenges, why is remote learning even harder for them?
2: Well, remote learning is harder for a couple of reasons. (laughs) And the first is that you know, the home environment is significantly less structured than school. So at school we have a schedule. It's often unchanging. It's predictable. Um, And then kids have bells. So they know when to go to the next class and then they have teachers and other adults that are monitoring them to stay on task. Um, And then, you know, we've really had to ramp up the independent work too. So um, our kids are having to self-manage and self-regulate at a higher level and a lot of you know, as you know, the kids that we work with take cues from the group. so when they don't know what they should be doing, they're kind of looking around the classroom to see what everyone else is doing. So um, with remote learning, they obviously don't have that advantage. Um, and then lastly, the, the home environment has a lot of distractions. And I, I have figured out that I am very good at getting distracted when I'm working from home. <laughs> so um, you, know, with students that already have executive function challenges, are having trouble, you know, if their sibling is walking by doing something fun, or even just knowing that their video game is in the next room, it's really hard for them to stay focused and on task when they're at home.
1: Yes, that's such a good point. I loved the point you make made about you know no longer having the group as a cue, and I hadn't really specifically thought about that. And as you were talking through that kind of scenario, I have a client, um, a former client, who I called him my like fake it till you make it kid. He had the best coping skills ever. He was awesome at following like group instructions. A lot of times he didn't really understand what the demand was, but he always looked like he did. And Uh you're removing that whole tool and support from our kids. Absolutely. I think we're finding out
2: how many of our kids were actually really, you know, at an advantage when they were in a group because they could see what everyone else was doing and stay on task.
1: Yeah. Okay. And, and obviously virtual learning's very challenging for everyone. But I think when we kind of consider the needs of, you know, some of our kids that have bigger struggles with executive function challenges, it's even that much harder. Like it's taking something that's already a big challenge and just taking it up a notch. Absolutely. I mean, the good news is that we're working on these
2: skills, right? And developing them, but, um, but we definitely need to help these kids a little bit more.
1: So let's get into your six strategies for, you know, and I think, like we said, these will apply for all kids. I think it'll be great for kind of te- both teachers and parents to hear on, on either end things that we can be doing. And I love that a lot of these are, are really simple tips. You don't need like brand new things that you need to laminate and Velcro and all that good stuff, but some kind of small changes can have a big impact. So what's the first strategy that we can utilize? So the first strategy is to help your students define
2: and visualize the goal. So, we want them to see what is the end product. And then we're gonna help them create a mental picture of how it's gonna look when it's finished. Um, So, if it's a homework, you know, homework or a a paper, whatever it might be, we really want them to think about okay, what is this gonna look like? And then it's also important to think about how how they're going to look when it's finished. And and are they going to have a big smile on their face? How are they going to feel? Are they going to be holding up a paper with a big A on it? So that mental imagery is really great. And then for kids who are not quite there yet, social stories are also a great way to help them kind of define what the end goal is. Oh, I love
0: that. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app.
1: Is this something teachers could be incorporating into, you know, their video lessons? Sometimes, you know, teachers will have a video lesson and then kids break out and do independent work. Do you think this would work well if teachers started to model that process? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think looking
2: at it as a whole and then kind of starting from the end and working backwards is always helpful.
1: Yeah. It's like when you download a recipe, you know, you want to see what the finished, what the dessert looks like, what the casserole looks like at the end. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. I love that. Not that I've ever made a casserole. I don't know why that was an example I used. (laughs) Neither have I.
2: I wish I knew how to make a casserole.
1: Right? (laughs) All right. So strategy number two kind of goes along the same lines.
2: Yeah. Along the same lines. So once, you know, this is strategy number two is to create a checklist. So once you have that visual mental picture, then we're gonna help our students work backwards to create the steps that they'll need. So if they pictured, let's say they pictured a paper that has six paragraphs, we're gonna help them figure out what each paragraph is going to include and they can create an outline. And if the goal is something like cleaning their room, uh, a great strategy is to take an actual picture of how the room looks when it's clean and then help them figure out what's the checklist. So if they see in the picture, okay, there's nothing on the floor, you know, step one, pick up everything that's on the floor. You know, if they see in the picture, the bed is made, okay, in real life, my bed's not made. Step two, make the bed. And it kind of naturally creates this checklist so that our kids are not completely overwhelmed by these tasks.
1: I love the example of using this in the home setting too, because, you know, so often we're getting resources and we're focused on like what teachers can do during virtual learning, but kind of forgetting that, Kids have a lot more time at home now than ever before. So parents need help with like, what do we do to fill this
2: time? Yeah, Absolutely. And it is kind of nice that we can work on these skills at home now. We all have the time we're we're spending a lot of time together.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, I want to talk about this checklist thing a little bit because I think this is something we don't, really do enough. And I think especially for, you know, to kind of overgeneralize kids that have a lot of language skills and are, you know, pretty successful in academics, we might see struggling in these areas. And I get that like the should statements a lot. Well like he should just be able to clean his room, but he's, you know, he should. Come on. Like just do it. But not I yeah. seeing that those kids might be struggling on the process there. Absolutely. I think
2: kids are overwhelmed by the the task a lot of times and they don't even know how to get started. So as much as we can break things down, it really helps them to just kind of, you know, in the checklists are great, just checking one thing off and, but you know, they, they often need help creating, getting to that point.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, when we, when we see kids be successful in other areas, we like assume that that like generalizes to everything, but that overwhelm is, you know, we, we do the same thing when there's a huge Project to be done, or like a lot of laundry. Like I know myself, if there's a ton of laundry, I'm just like, eh, I just don't even want to get started on it. That that is so true. Yes,
2: and actually, that's perfect segue into the the next tip, which is covering motivation. Because you know, so often these kids are like, "Why am I? I don't want to do this. It's not going to be fun, <laughs> right? Yes, and so." If they don't see the point, how do we help them even achieve that goal? So I think it helps to have a frank conversation with them about kind of embracing the struggle. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we can go back to that mental imagery again. You know, the reason we're doing this is remember how you're going to feel when you achieve this goal. Um, And, you know, a lot of kids might need us to create smaller goals along the way as well if it's just too far out there for them. But just letting them know that you know, it's, it's not always fun when we're working towards a goal, but we're doing it for a reason and we're doing it to get to this point.
1: Yeah. I love the, that like line embrace the struggle. And I think especially right now, like kind of everything's a struggle for teachers, for parents, for our kids that, and, and talking about that is, is, would be helpful.
2: Yes. I know I'm doing a lot of that at my house right now with my kids. So
1: (laughs) Yeah. I interviewed last last week's podcast was with Dr. Eric Storch, and he was talking about, you know, really talking to kids about, you know, that this is this is not going to be this way forever and and addressing that, that, yeah, this isn't ideal and this isn't fun, but it's okay And it's not going to be this way for a long time and modeling that positivity, which I thought was so important. And I don't know if I as a parent do that enough for my own kids.
2: That's such a great point. And
1: I, I feel the same way. I know. I
2: feel like you're right. If you have a good attitude about it, so will your kids and the students you're working with.
1: And for this kind of idea of reminding them what they're working for, would that kind of also include then really being able to identify reinforcers and incorporate those into like virtual learning sessions and things like that? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. We want to we find out what's going to motivate them
2: and, oh. and highlight on that.
1: Number 4 to me is the big one, Aaron. <laughs>
2: is it? Okay. Yes. Time management. Yes. Yeah. So, help help break down the time. I need I need this it. one. I need this one too. I've been trying to use a lot of different things to help myself with time management. But yeah, for kids, time management and the passage of time in general is really a tough concept, and especially for our kids that already have executive function challenges. So I always recommend with these kids using an analog clock um, because when you have an analog clock, you can actually visually see the passage of time. So when they're trying to achieve a goal or complete a task, we want to help them break down how much time it's going to take. So if the goal, for example, is to finish a book, then we might say, okay, let's figure out how long it takes for you to read 10 pages And then we can get out a calendar and help them map out, okay, each day you're going to need to read this much in order to achieve your goal by this point.
1: Yes, I love that. I love the suggestion to use an analog clock because I recommend that a lot as well. Because to me, for myself, even when I, if I use like a stopwatch or a timer, sometimes I just like catch myself just staring at it, like not even completing the activity.
2: Yeah, yeah. I know there's a lot of resetting that has to be done because I feel like, you know, inevitably we all aren't on track the whole time. So <laughs> when you have an analog clock, you can say, oops, I just wasted five minutes. So now I'm going to reset and start again. So,
1: yeah. And kind of going back what you had said earlier about there being more independent work, how can teachers help, you know, help students with time management struggles kind of through these independent work activities? Because some kids. Really struggle with that. They're like, okay, you have an hour to do these five activities, and they come back to the screen and like they've done half of one activity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I think you know,
2: I I love the idea of breakout rooms, and I think this is really helpful for teachers to meet one on one on one whenever they can, and and try and help the kids define, okay, um, this task is going to take this long. How long? You know, when are you going to do it, and and kind of help them work through it a little bit.
1: Yeah. And just model that. I think, you know, there's just so much going on. I think we forget that like some kids don't know how to manage time. I mean, many adults don't know how to manage their time, as we said. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. My high schooler is fully e-learning right now. And it's been really interesting to to watch him try and manage his time. Not always I mean, successfully, but
1: <laughs> like, like like we said, silver lining of this whole situation is these are skills that our kids are just getting like a crash course in right now that we really wouldn't have been working on these so intensively if if we weren't in virtual schooling right now?
0: Absolutely.
2: Hopefully they'll kind of have a leg up at the end of all of this because they really have had to ramp up these skills.
1: Yeah, that's true. All right, so tip number five. So
2: identify the distractions and and have a conversation about them. We know that there are going to be distractions when you're at home. And if we talk to our kids beforehand about what those distractions might be, and then, how they're gonna handle them when they come up, um, so my fourteen year old daughter knows that her phone is a huge distraction for her, so when she's doing her homework, she locks it in her safe um, because she knows if it's sitting next to her, then it's just too too um, tempting for her to pick it up, so you yes. know little things like that, whatever the distraction might be
1: yes, i mean i I do that too i put my I actually put my phone on the other side of the room, which is sad that as an adult, I have to do that. But like if, if as adults and as, you know, teenagers and things like that, we're, we don't always have enough self-control to not grab our phone and scroll and, you know, have those distractions so accessible. Think about, you know, our kids that really struggle with this.
2: Absolutely. I know even just being at home and having like the kitchen next door and like, Oh, maybe I'll get a
1: snack. I know that's a big (laughs) one for me. (laughs) Yes. So what does an ideal learning environment in the home look like for a student? Well,
2: you know, I think one thing we always think about when we think about executive function is the organization piece. And it is really important. You know, we we want to make sure that our kids are not taking their calls while laying in bed. And, you know, we want to make sure that they're sitting up and they have the materials they need. Um, and so just kind of setting them up in that way is always, you know, no, and, and limiting distractions as much as we can as well. So um, I think that's always great. But then I think a lot of times people stop at that organization piece and they think, okay, well, they have everything they need and they have the directions, so they should be good to go. And, you know, I think what we're realizing is that our kids really need additional help beyond that point.
1: Yeah. These Especially skills aren't now. always, always just picked up by osmosis. Like you might, kids might need a direct instruction on this. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I we. I guess, you know, develop
2: our executive function skills up until we're 25 years old. So um, all kids are going to need help as they develop. And then especially right now with remote learning.
1: Yeah. Well, we kind of started talking about um, strategy number six already, kind of jumping ahead here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I jumped into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was just to, to get organized, make
2: sure the space is, is set up and that they are, are good to go on that front
1: that self-regulate piece of kind of teaching kids how to identify when maybe they're not organized or they are missing tools or there are distractions. How do you recommend working with kids on that, on being able to self-identify, you know, like your daughter, like that, Oh, I should put this phone is a distraction. I should put this somewhere else. How can we start to teach kids to self-regulate in that way? Yeah. I think, you know,
2: just having those conversations is great or Pointing it out in the moment when you can tell, um, you know that they're not regulated, and you know, I like I can see that you know maybe you need a little bit of break of a break, and then going back to it, what happened there? Okay, well, next time this happens, how are we going to handle it? And um, that's really effective usually with the with this age group.
1: Yeah, you know I see with a lot of these skills you know, parents, I mean, I'm guilty of this as well. You know, we just get like, you get frustrated. Like why, why didn't you, why are you being fl- more flexible or why are you getting so upset about this? Or why are not you organized? And maybe more taking like a punishment based approach approach instead of like a skill acquisition approach. So what advice would you give for teachers, you know, for kind of coaching parents through that, like, Hey, you know, these are skills that your child doesn't have yet, but we're working on them. And here are some strategies. Because um, sometimes that, I think that can be a hard conversation to have. I, I agree. And I think to your
2: point, you know, we, we think, okay, we'll just do it. Just get it done. Like, yeah. why aren't you doing it? Right? Um, yeah. So I think, you know, even just educating families and parents on, you know, what exactly, where exactly the, our kids are going to need additional help and additional structure um, throughout their day is, is really goes a long way and then, you know, as individual skills as well, because all of our kids are unique and have different areas of need. So, um, you know, we can kind of, I think, you know, it's conference time right now. So, um, Mm -hmm. for, for teachers and, and families to be able to have those discussions and find out where things are breaking down at home and then problem solve from there is, is really helpful.
1: Yeah, that's good advice. Awesome. Thank you so much. I love that. Like I said, these are you know, really user-friendly, you know, it just takes some, some extra discussion, some extra prompting, some extra modeling, but I think could really have a big impact on a lot of our, our students who are struggling right now. Yes, definitely. And now I wish I could
2: apply these all to myself and be able to right? do it all the time.
1: <laughs> Where's that magic <laughs> wands. Yeah, I know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Erin. Can you remind people where they can go to learn more from you and about you?
2: Absolutely. So our website is therapyworks.com, and we provide um, speech, OT, PT, and social
1: work. Great. Well, thank you so much, Erin. Thank you, Sasha. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper Podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback.